What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. So Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is giving us the best relationship series of all time. He's really looking at the heart of every issue that we have as humans, and it doesn't even just apply to first century uh, Jews. Uh, this applies to all of us. It is still so relevant. <coughs> I wish I had time, and I wish I didn't rush things, because I really felt like last week's message deserves a whole series, right? About the contempt that we have for our neighbor, about the fact that how come we as a nation can't even disagree well anymore. And I've been praying and thinking through maybe one day we will do something, dive into it much, much deeper. But I really found that truth liberating. It's important to remember that Jesus is not just our Savior. Jesus is brilliant, right? It's, it, we always think, oh yeah, Jesus, he saved me. Thank you so much. But Jesus was the best philosopher of all time, amen? Jesus knows humans more than anybody. And so these words here are just wisdom. They're so helpful for us, and they transcend all ages, And I think this passage in particular, verse 27 through 30, maybe you've read this before and you haven't found hope from it. And I hope today, maybe God takes a hold of your heart and you're able to see how this truly can bring you hope. Verse 27 says this, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one part, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, it's very, very easy for us to misinterpret this passage. It's very, very easy to seem like, oh yeah, that might be the answer, but I don't really see how it actually applies to my life. Let me just say from experience, we're very passionate here about college ministry. We love our college students and shout out to so many of them who walked the stage last week and are now walking out of our lives, but whatever, you know, we're not bitter. (laughs) Um, We're so excited for them. And I'm like, can you just stay one more year? Can you have flunked just a few more classes, right? Um, But in college ministry, when I was in college, I always knew our buddies would get together. We truly wanted to get to know Jesus more. We'd get together. We'd wake up early to pray and read our word. And all of them said, I just have a certain sin in my life. And I always knew what it was. (laughs) Like, guys are guys, right? So they would try to be like so, you know, vague. Like, you just don't even know. Like, I struggle with something. And I'm like, dude, I know what you're struggling with, right? And it's this topic today. Maybe not, but 98% of the time, it is something they struggle with. And it's this topic of lust. Now, I have an opportunity today to go really into the vulgar, the, uh, the deep end of this stuff. I'm not choosing to go that route today. I'm going to keep today PG, amen? But I still think this will very help. This will help you so much even in a rated R world. I'm done with that kind of, well, whatever, movie theater. I just think it's funny. Um, but something that has always burdened me, some of my greatest friends, because of this problem, they feel unworthy of love, and they most definitely feel unqualified for ministry. They feel unqualified for the Lord. So many people don't walk out in faith because they still have this besetting sin that they cannot seem to ever, ever get rid of. And women, I believe a lot of you also struggle with this as well. It's super easy for us today to harp on the men. That's my favorite thing to do because I'm a man and I love when my wife's happy with me. Amen. So I'm not going to act like I know women at all. Okay. But I want us to see here that as we look through this, this whole idea here is desire. 
So some of you, maybe even with women, you look at other women in disdain because maybe you are comparing yourself. Think about all of these things. There's so many different ways we look at each other and it leads to sin and, and, and a life that is far from God. So I want to help us today. So, so my prayer today is this message will be full of grace, not guilt, full of hope for those who feel hopeless for those who have tried for decades to get rid of this problem. I think most of us have not gotten rid of this problem because we've had the wrong, we've had the wrong strategy, if that makes sense. This is point one. This is why I think we've, we've struggled so much. I think our hope has been misplaced and our habits have been misused. I think it's, it's going to be very interesting today. It's so funny how in a 21st century Western context, our hope, I believe, in, in fixing this sin has been in the wrong place. And I think Jesus kind of brings it back to where we need to go. So again, how has our hope been misplaced? That's, I think 27 through 28 answers that. And then 29 through 30 answers how our habits have been misused. I'm going to read 27 again. It says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Now, I think everybody can agree that this is wrong. We can all say, yes, don't commit adultery, although I don't think this is as accepted anymore. In the culture we live in today, it's, well, if she doesn't love you, if you're no longer feeling the magic, then it is okay. You need to do what's best for you. So we can't even take that for granted. If I had time, I would walk in and talk about what adultery does to relationships, what it does to children, how it's never just between you and your spouse. It always has huge ramifications, but I don't have time for that. So let's read verse 28. It says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In one sense, this passage is beautiful. I have three daughters. I want every man in the world to follow this. Amen? Like, this is great. I think this would make society way better. But at the same time, I am a guy. And this passage is also haunting because I know me and I know everybody. And we all seem to, it all seems like we feel like we're out of control when it comes to our mind's eye, when it comes to the desires we have. So this is a beautiful passage, but it's also a haunting passage. It's something we all want, but not many of us feel like we can actually fulfill it. So I want us to look at what is Jesus saying and what is Jesus not saying? Jesus is not saying this. How dare you think a woman is attractive? How dare you think Thor is attractive? I think even dudes were like, okay, you know, look at him. So we were, never mind, I almost gave a spoiler away. Now, <clears throat> the band lifts Monday. I'm talking about it next week. I'm just saying. But how dare you think a woman's attractive? I have been in Sunday school environments where people have told me, you, you cannot think another woman is attractive. This is almost, I think this is actually impossible. We're all put in situations where our, our minds just are, we all of a sudden see something and we just can't help but think, yes, that is beautiful. Here's the problem though. I think what Jesus is saying here, there is a huge difference between a glance and a gaze. There's a huge difference between, oh yeah, Thor is beautiful. And then versus like having posters of Thor in your bedroom wall. I think your husband might have an issue with that. Or I should have said, I think your wife might have an issue with but that would have been funnier. Dang it. I need to plan my jokes better. Um, you know what I'm saying? There is a difference between a glance and a gaze. And I think immediately that kind of gives us, uh, some of the weight is gone. Oh, so like, you know, like, oh, like, uh, sometimes I can't help. Like, oh, I just see something. Yeah. Um, but I, I love Martin Luther. He put it this way. 
Martin Luther's a crazy guy. He helped start the Reformation, but there's so many funny things about him. But this quote he said, I think was great. He says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I like that. That's the difference between a glance and a gaze. You can't help the birds are everywhere. But there, it takes intentionality. It takes you not leaving the situation for the bird to take a nest in your hair. Good old mid, uh, medieval uh, humor right there. Now, this Greek word we have here is very interesting. So um, when he talks about, uh, in, in, in my, our translation, it says, uh, whoever looks at a woman lustfully, this translation, this Greek word is called epithumeia. Yeah, I pronounced it right. You want to say that with me? Epithumeia. One more time. Epithumeia. Who else hates when I do that? You. Okay. Um, I won't do that anymore. Uh, my wife says it's stupid. Now, Jesus doesn't use this word, epithumeia. He actually uses it in the Bible. There's, you see it 62 times in the whole New Testament. But this word is only used for this type of category, this type of what we say lust, only twice. Other time it references greed, like for money or other types of things. But here it's pertaining to, um, again, I said I would keep it PG, but do you get what I'm saying? Here he's reserving it towards intimacy. Now, Jesus, you, again, usually re- reserves this word for greed. So what does epithemia mean? It means a desire, it, it is a over-desire to get something that only God can provide. That's what epithemia means. In other words, the emphasis is on getting and using and abusing. The emphasis is I want something and it's for me. And usually when you have this type of desire, it is addictive and it leads to abuse. So we can actually apply this to greed, right? To money, right? If you want something, you feel like that's going to give me my hope and my desires. That's actually an over desire. Is money bad? No. But is it God? Not at all, right? It's good. It's really good, but it's a really bad God. And so there's not this over-desire. But here's the reality. So now I just want to get, how has our hope been misplaced? So Jesus is set up. Um, it's not just that, oh, you can't think a woman is attractive. The problem is in the gaze. But then we see, of course, that this, uh, this lust here is really talking about not just a quick glance, but it's this, I need it, I want it, this is what I will fulfill me. So here's what I believe in our modern day where our hope has been misplaced when it comes to answering this. Again, Sunday school teachers I've heard before, the answer is just to stop desiring. I don't think that's the answer. The answer cannot be, how dare you think that that person is attractive? The answer is something different. Now, why do we think that way? Have you ever heard of Rene Descartes? If you've been around for a while, I mention him often. He's a philosopher in the 17th century, and he has royally messed all of us up. So just blame him for a lot of stuff. You know that royal blue, anybody? Nope, okay. Liar, liar. Moving on. He declared that the essence of, human, of mankind lies in our thinking. Okay? We all believe this. Uh, he, he coined this phrase, I think what? Therefore, I am. Now, how come that little statement has changed everything? It honestly has, and we are still paying the price. Here's what that means. You, you can think your way to freedom. You have a problem? Just think better. And we've even brought it so much to like, you want a better parking spot? Spot, just think about it. And then all of a sudden, that first row will come through, baby. We think that. We're like, yeah, if I just think it, it'll happen. Hate to say it, but you're going to park in the back, right? Um, kind of, usually, often. That's what happens to me. Now, 
We've pulled that into our Christian faith. And I think when it comes to this topic of desire and changing our desires and trying to realign our minds, we think, I just need to go to a classroom more. I need to memorize more scripture, which again is not a bad thing, but I need to just think this way through. We believe this false narrative that the answer to lust is to stop desiring and to start thinking. But how many of us know things that are right, but still don't do the things that are right? Right? Like, how many of you know ice cream's bad for you? Don't raise your hand. I refuse to believe it, right? But how many of us have ice cream in our fridge? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, amen, brother. That's right. I'm dying right now, guys. Um, I know that's overdramatic, but in this 21-day practice, me and my wife decided to uh, up the ante. So we were like, okay, what can we do? So we are fasting from uh, sugar. No sugar for 21 days. Saturday nights are the worst, guys. I was like, come on, can I, just, can I just have a little bit of ice cream? It's bad. But anyways, I don't know why I'm doing this. But look, although we may know something, dessert kills, although I, I would argue that. But although we may know something, we still have it in our fridge. This means that we're not just a thinking people. Something has to happen deeper inside of us in order for change to really happen. So James K.A. Smith, I know I'm getting nerdy here, but I promise it's going to be helpful, okay? James K.A. Smith, he's written a book called You Are What You Love, and literally he says, look, in a world that says you are what you think, he, he says, no, 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 you are what you love. He actually takes it from the St. Augustine quote, which I think is really good. He says, uh, Augustine says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. In other words, it's not, I just need to know more about you and then everything will get better. No, it's this, I am craving you, God. So these other cravings I have in my life are actually pointing to a deeper craving that can only be satisfied in God. So if we try to look at other things to fulfill that desire, that desire will always fall short. Now, the last thing we need to do is stop desiring because it's literally impossible. It's so strange how we know the power of imagination but we think we can defeat it with the power of intellect. Imagination wins over intellect every single time. So what do we do? What's, what's our hope? Point number two. And, and I'll admit, this was one of my points like a few weeks ago. Just act like this is brand new, okay? I actually changed one word just to, uh, just, just to switch it up for you, okay? Point number two. Our disordered desires must be killed so that our deeper desires may be fulfilled. Now, last week I said louder desires, so like this is a whole new point, right? Our disordered desires must be killed so that our deeper desires may be fulfilled. Epithemia, here in this passage, is talking about a disordered desire. It's a desire that leads to addiction, overuse, and abuse, okay? So I want us to see this. So what Jesus is saying is like, okay, this kind of desire, this over-desire is wrong, but guess what? I'm not saying to stop desiring. I'm saying God has created you for a deeper desire. Disordered desires love to use. Deeper desires love to love. Disordered desires are very impatient. Deeper desires are patient. Disordered desires are selfish. Deeper desires are selfless. You guys got that? You guys see the difference here? So the answer, may this bring hope to all of us. The answer is not to deaden desire. The answer is to deepen desire. Now, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, he actually wrote, I don't have time for this, but I believe it's a mere Christianity. He talked about how our problems uh, as humans are not that we have too many desires. He says, our problem is that our desires are too weak. 
He has this really cool illustration. It's as if he says, we are like kids playing in mud pies. All the while, we have a free ticket to the holiday at the sea. But we refuse to take that ticket and enjoy what's for us because we are so consumed in the mud pies. And that is the picture that we need to see here. And that's the hope that we have. God is not calling us to dead in desires. It's actually a call to more. Now, here's what's the problem. As, as I preach, this sounds so cliche, right? You just need more Jesus. And I'm always struggling. How do I actually convince people that this actually is the answer? That the problem, is, the problem isn't that you want intimacy. The problem is that you are not putting that intimacy towards Christ. So how do we make sure this isn't cliche? Well, first of all, I think we need God's grace. Like when we pray, like honestly, I think it's like, God, can you awaken me to realize that your desires are what I need? right? Like I need, my eyes are blind. And when I see trash, I actually think it's what I need, but no, I need something much healthier. So I think we need God's grace. Like we can't just talk ourselves out of it. We need him to remove the veil. But another thing though, I think, um, which is why I think we should pray for him to show up, pray and ask him. But I also think we need to see what he sees by doing these certain habits. This is actually what we're going to see here. So Jesus points Again, we need to deepen our desires, but how do we deepen those desires? Jesus answers that. Look at verse 29. <clears throat> if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Um, we, bought, we brought a little eye gouger today, so on your way out, if it's what you need. Uh, <laughs> or if you just play basketball. Um, never mind. I, I do NBA jokes, but none of you really like NBA I was going to talk about, uh, what's his name? Uh, Draymond Green. He likes to do that. James Harden, his eye. Moving on. You guys don't know the culture. Uh, so, for it is better that you, or maybe I don't, for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown away into hell. I want us to remember, if you were here last week, he's actually using the same word, Gehenna, yet again. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Man, here's my problem when I read this. I am better at cutting with my right hand. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just thinking this through. My left hand, it would not be straight. But my right hand, I take that left hand off nice. That got morbid. Um, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of, the party parts of, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Can you imagine trying to preach this? Okay, so pray for me. But this actually makes complete sense. So not only has our hope been misplaced, thinking, just think better. Quit thinking that that woman's attractive. No, instead it's to deepen desires to something much greater. But how do we do that? Our habits have been misused. I love Jesus. He's so savage for this because he's the king of hyperbole and, he, and I love him for that. He is not saying, again, I want us to see, what is Jesus saying? What is he not saying? He is not saying, how dare you for not cutting off your right hand yet? That is not what Jesus is saying. But you're like, yes, it is what Jesus is saying. Yes, but we're all dramatic and that's a way that you bring a point across. I want us to see that. Did you actually know there's a, uh, there's a theologian named Origen and he, uh, he was this brilliant guy, loved the Bible, loved reading, loved writing commentaries, but he had this problem with lust. And it actually shows that he, in hopes of freedom, castrated himself. But here's the problem with that. First of all, that really hurts. Second of all, the problem with that, you're probably a miserable person, you're not fun to be around. But look, your heart can't be cured when you cut off your hand, but there's something to be said about cutting off your habits. I think that's the point Jesus is trying to make. By him, he's saying it needs to be drastic, but the point is your body is used to certain habits and you need to do whatever it takes so that your body's no longer doing those certain habits. It's crazy, guys. What we do with our body dramatically influences what we do with our spirit and our mind and our heart. I truly believe that more and more and more. Um, 
and, but I need to move forward, okay? So, so what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying, be miserable, punish yourself, at least you'll make it to heaven. And again, I've been to those college talks, you who struggle with lust, you might need to cut off your hand. That's not what we're saying here at all. I think it's something much, much deeper. See, your habits consist of feasting and releasing. So we need to look at, okay, what are our habits and how do we need to change these things? Remember, releasing is there are certain things in your life that are causing you to lead to a life of lust, lead to a life of disordered desires. I love it. Adrian Rogers, he put it this way. He has a deep voice, so hold on. He said, a man who ought not slip, ought not walk in slippery places. I'm like, that's so good. I'm going to write that down, right? So blame him for me doing all these phrases. Um, but I love that. And so what, that's what he's saying. You need to release certain things. He even says that in Proverbs 8. If the adulterous woman is on the 8th street, go, don't walk down 8th street and think if you're strong enough. There's certain habits you need to release. So what does that mean for us? I think there's some things we probably shouldn't watch. And I don't want to be that guy like the 90s Christian youth pastor that took all the CDs, right? Anybody? And like put it in a bonfire and they're like, yeah, we're only going to listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman, right? And oh my gosh, that is just hard to do. No offense, but wow, right? Um, I actually heard John Christ. You guys have heard that comedian? He said that one time they smuggled a Michael Jackson CD into his house by putting it in a Stephen Curtis Chapman cover. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> okay. So, but honestly, some things we should release. There is some things we're allowing in our heads and it's actually shaping our habits, which in turn shapes our hearts more than we know. I'm not, I don't think it's my job to start talking about things I think you shouldn't watch. I'm leaving that up to you and the Holy Spirit. I know that there's certain shows out today that sound awesome, but when you check IMDb, I, I can't trust myself. I don't want to put myself in that situation. I don't want to make things awkward. I just don't think it's right for me to do, right? Now, there are some apps we probably shouldn't have. I have some friends that aren't on social media at all, and I razz on them. I'm like, who are, are you even a person if you don't have an account, right? Uh, but honestly, I, t- I, I told them, though, but you're probably holier than me, right? Because I spend so much time, even just the sense of you just spending time. Like this isn't even like that you're doing bad things, but the fact is you're doing that over and over. That is a habit that is controlling you and you are at the mercy of whatever content people post. But here's, I need to hurry guys, I'm so sorry, but here's what I think we need to talk about too. Not just releasing, but also feasting. I think a lot of us have not found hope and and freedom when it comes to these disordered desires because we're only told to cut off but I think just as important as to start putting on these new things. So for you, I want you to think about, and again, it's why we're doing our 21-day practice. What are some things that you can feast on that just help you in your, your relationship with God? For me, I've really noticed, even just within the last six months, I love to read. I love it. I read two books a week. Weird flex, but okay, right? I read it. Is that the right context, how to use them? I don't know. Okay. Gen Z's like, okay, good. Um, I read two books a week, and it's so weird, but like Sabbath day for me, if it's full of three hours of reading a book, I am so happy, and my, I'm actually a good husband to be around, like, right, Jordan? Like, I just love it. For some people, that's how you turn into Satan, right? So don't read three hours on a Saturday, but for me, right? So think about what are some things that you can feast on? Also, even just within this topic of desire, how can you intentionally cultivate intimacy within your own marriage? 
other things. Just what do you enjoy? It doesn't always have to be prayer, reading, Bible, even those are so essential, but it's maybe beautiful hikes in the mountains. Maybe it's engaging in talks about the things of God. Maybe it's fellowshipping over the dinner, dinner table every single Friday night, which is what me and my wife do with friends and family members and church members. I love watching movies like The Avengers sometimes just to get my mind away and just to fuel my imagination and then just say how, guys, this points to Jesus, right? It's, again, spoiler though, next week, I'm going to spoil it for you. Now, here's why this gives me so much hope. I honestly believe we, I have grown up in a world that just says, stop desiring. And I really have been praying as a church that we would make way for God to bring revival. And I think the way that God is, okay, wants to bring revival is if we're asking for his grace, but we're also making room for him to work in our life. I think the greatest way for him, for us to make room for him is through these habits. This is point number three. It's the last one. This is so essential. Our practices, or maybe our habits, aren't the way to make it work, but they do make way for God to work. Here's what I'm terrified of doing, even just within this 21-day practice. I don't want to be labeled as religious, as all this, like, oh, it's just about do, do, do. But listen, again, this is why we're not checking if you're actually doing it. I don't care. We're just trying to make a room for you to do this. But I will tell you, though, we're not trying to be the Pharisees at all. But I know in my own life, my habits always shape my heart. And I think if we're saying to God, God, shape our hearts, use it, set our world on fire, I think we have to say, and we're ready for it by creating these habits so you can do exactly that. I think a lot of us, we have struggled with disordered desires and we've never found freedom. I think it's because we thought, okay, I need to read my Bible so that I no longer lust. I need to go to church so that I no longer lust. I love the aspiration. You will fail every time. Here's what I mean. Look, our practices aren't, that's not the 100% guarantee, but it's okay, God, I am not the one who can change, but I am making room so you can come down and change. I put it another way. These practices are not how we show our piety to God. These practices are how we submit to the power of God. We should write that down. I probably should have made a point. I can't believe I didn't do that. It's a point, but here's the point again. Look, these practices are not showing our piety to God. These practices are submitting to the power of God. That's good, right? I read a book yesterday for three hours and I nerded out and it's by Eugene Peterson. It's called The Contemplative Pastor. It's a really good book. Even though you're not a pastor, you probably should read it, but moving forward, he has this phrase calls, I can't believe I did that so fast, willful passivity. And I was like, this is so good. And I can't believe I have it. I guess I'm a, I'm a girl dad, so I had a pink highlighter. I highlighted the whole page pink. And it just says willful passivity. It's this action of God. I am actively pursuing you, but I know that what I'm doing is passive. It only has power if you show up. I thought that was so good. In other words, these are not about expressing our devotion to God. It's about receiving God's power in our life. So fasting. Fasting isn't about our piety. Fasting is about God's power. It's saying, God, I am focusing on all these, these things. I'm not going to say, oh, I love you. It's no. It's I do love you. I am going to fast. I'm going to remove food. I'm going to remove these other desires because I need you to show up and I want you to be my deeper desire. But you won't be my deeper desire unless you show up and show me. Sabbath isn't about our piety. Sabbath is about God's power. We're called to stop worrying because we realize that God's the one in control. We're called to stop wanting because we realize that God fulfills our desires. We're called to stop working because we realize God's the one who provides for us. Does this make sense? We've always looked at worship, all these practices as expressing and just proving to God that it's not it. 
These practices are making room and saying, God, I need you in my life. I desperately need your grace. They are not how we express our piety, but they are how we receive God's power. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into, a hell, into hell. Our world has created a rhythm that has brought us to ruin. That is why these practices create a new rhythm that bring about restoration. The power is not in the actual ritual itself, but it does make way for the power of God to come into our life where we pause, put everything else aside, and say, God, I desperately need you. So I'm done, but maybe you're here and you struggle with lust or it's some other disordered desire and you feel like you can't win. Number one, you desperately need God's grace and power. This isn't some 12-step program and now it's good. You need his grace. Maybe that's what we need to be singing about these next two songs, just asking desperate for his grace. Number two, though, you have to realize the call to Jesus is a call to more, not a call to less. This isn't a, I know we were talking about self-denial, and it is self-denial, but it's actually so that you can get something that's so much better and so much deeper than what the world promises. Number three, I think we want to walk alongside of you to engage in these new practices and habits that we truly believe will form the depths of your heart. You're not going to win this overnight. Tomorrow, you're not going to wake up. Again, it's not that you don't desire something beautiful. It's that you're able to re-change those habits to where you see it at a glance, but you realize, I don't need to gaze because I have something much more beautiful that I'm running after. I love Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Not blessed are those who figured it out, but it's blessed are those who have experienced the beauty of Jesus Christ and have created those habits to cultivate that as often as possible. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful that you have given us hope. I'm thankful, God, that this message... uh, honestly, is, is, is a tough one, uh, but God, I really believe it's the key to liberation. And God, I pray that we don't walk away here saying, okay, God, it's about me. God, may we leave here saying, God, I need you. And these practices are simply a way to say you are invited. God, I know that there are people in this room who struggle with any type of over-desire, and they know it's leading to their ruin. They know it's not what they truly want but they haven't found freedom. God, I pray that today it would start this starting point where they realize, God, it's more about what you do in and through me than me trying to prove it to you. God, I pray that today you would break chains of slavery. I pray, God, that you would enable young men to say no in order for a deeper yes. God, I pray that we be a people of deeper desire that are just so satisfied in you, that we can truly just rest in your goodness, that people would want what we have because we are just truly content. May that honestly be how we are described, and may that be how we can honestly describe ourselves. We believe, Jesus, that you didn't just save us for the last day, but you saved us for today, and we believe that we can change now and transform now. It's not perfect, but it's definitely toward you. God, we are just asking you, may we receive your power. 
may we get that in our head, what these practices are truly doing. Because when it's, what is this religious trying to prove? It is so deadening. It is so tiring. It's the last thing that I want. But God, we need your grace and we need your power to reawaken our affections. May all of us here cannot wait to start these practices because it's from a heart of joy and a heart of love and realizing it is a call to something deeper and it's something we joyfully partake in. God, we cannot believe that and walk in that way outside of your grace and outside of you doing something transformative in our heart. But may we do what we can do with willful passivity and make room for you to work in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.